Hello there. You're listening to the Box Office Show. I'm Dylan Johnson, and this is the third part of our analysis on Season 3 of Avatar The Last Airbender, focusing entirely on the series finale, Sozin's Comet. Water. Earth. Fire. Air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. The big, mega, four-part finale, Sozin's Comet. We finally reached it. We've done it, Ryan. Hoorah. We did it. Seven-something hours worth of dialogue on the show, and we've made it to the end. <laughs> For real. Tell us, tell us about the first part of this four-part finale, The Phoenix King. And the culmination is here. Do you want to do it episode by episode? Because I truly... I mean, we, can, we could do it that way, but I I really see this as just like one continuation thing. Which is why I'm glad they did that on Netflix is as just one big long movie. Right. I wish they had even gotten rid of the opening titles for each section. I wish it had just been one full long movie because it really is just flows right into each other so perfectly well. Right. For sure. Um, so, yeah, just to talk a bit about the actual character decisions that they made here and the world building decisions. And then we can get into our thoughts and reactions to it, because I'm sure we have plenty, plenty here. But again, the central conflict is Aang at the beginning. Well, at the beginning, they're just lounging around and chilling. And Zuko's like, yo, we got a comet coming. Are we going to do something about that? And they're like, we are planning on doing it afterwards, after the comet, because I'm not ready. Aang's like, ah, he's, I'm not ready with the firebending. Also not really ready with the earthbending. So they're just going to wait, allow him to train more before he faces Ozai. But this is when we find out what actually happened in that meeting Zuko was in that really made him change his mind and realize, okay, this is not for me being the prince to uh, this type of Fire Lord is not who I want to be. And it's that uh, Ozai wants to freaking burn the world. (laughs) Okay. Okay, first off, this is another, this big flashback where we go and rewatch this meeting is another instance where Ozai is just a dipshit. <laughs> Let me tell you, okay, because you have the one general who's like, we're making good headway in the Earth Kingdom, we have Ba Sing Se, we're doing great, we're going to quench this rebellion. And Ozai's like, hmm, what, uh, what do you think? What do you think, Zuko? And Zuko just tells him, you know, they're proud people, they won't stop as long as they have hope. And Ozai's like, okay, he's right, he's right. What do we do, guys? And then Azula comes up with a plan that on the comet they should just burn the Earth Kingdom. And Ozai's like, hmm, okay, let's do that, guys. Let's let's burn them down. Like he's just getting all of his advice from everybody around him and making no decisions for himself, essentially. He's just an idiot. An evil, evil, very powerful, evil idiot. That's true. Very he has much- no plan he makes no plans himself. Yeah, true. Who is very vainglorious given that he wants to Yes. change his name from the fire lord to the, the phoenix, phoenix king. king because he wants to rule over a world that's risen from the ashes 
Like a man definitely has delusions of grandeur, um, but apparently not intelligent enough to get there on his own. So yeah, he siphons off Azula's idea yet again. Because again, she's the one that, I mean, for all they knew, nearly killed the Avatar. Um, still was able to conquer bossing, say, when no one else could. I mean, she is by far in Fire Nation realm, the biggest war hero. And Ozai is just benefiting off of her success. And yet yes, again, 100%. chooses to do that, implementing the plan she came up with. What's really crushing towards the end of this episode is when he goes up there and does his whole Phoenix King thing. She's coming with him and he hardly even recognizes it. Like he's stunned that she's behind him because um, he wasn't expecting that. Like I think he's completely forgotten and ignored Azula at this point um, because again, he's just so caught up in his own own desire to be the best in the world and use Sozin's Comet to become the overlord of Earth. And so when Azula is talking to him, he doesn't want her along with him. He wants all the glory for himself. So he's going to keep her behind. And he does this thing, which is funny. This is like an aside, but in culinary class, Mason was always told that he had to take out the trash. But the way he was told to do it, it wasn't just like, oh, we need someone to take the trash. We need to do it. The teacher would come up and be like, Mason, I have a special job for you. Only you can do this. I need you to take out the trash. And Mason and I would always just joke about that. And this is literally what Ozai does to Azula. <laughs> he goes, Azula, I have a special job for you. Only you can do this. While I'm off being the Phoenix King, conquering the world, I need you to stay at home. Protect the homeland. Be the Fire Lord. And Azula, for all her intelligence and cunning and whatnot, I mean, maybe it's because this is not the point where she's already becoming unhinged. She's in that process. She doesn't realize she's getting manipulated here. And it's sort of a validation of her desires to get her father's approval and, mm -hmm. and love. Absolutely. And to get that status and power that she was always craving in a way and like designed and molded to desire that, uh, that power and whatnot. So she is fully on board. She's like, Oh, this is amazing. Okay. I'll be the fire Lord. I'll do what I need to do. I'll do my duty. And it's just another vicious action by Ozai. He's just such a despicable person. And it's even worse that he's stupid. You can't even respect him being like a mastermind coming up with all this stuff, it, moving all the pawns and whatnot. He is just a super evil guy. Yeah. Terrible. He's just a big, dumb, evil, but, asshole fucker oh god <laughs> we were on nickelodeon for a bit and then we diverted yeah. he's just kind of just like a piece of shit essentially True. uh we also get for world building purposes we get a look at these big powerful lion turtles that we had set up all the way back in season two in the library episode with a throwaway line where ang's like look at the lion turtles and then that's it and then now we get that come all around we get to see how big they are and how powerful they are. Just an island-sized turtle, which is amazing. And we get to learn how wise they are. After all of these, after seeking answers from all of the past avatars, Aang is like, somebody help me. They've all told him one way or another, you have to kill Ozai. It's the only way. Even the previous air nomad avatar was like, you have to be connected to the world and you have to 
live in the world and you can't distance yourself from it and you have to do what you can do to protect this world and they all give great advice they all really do give really good powerful advice but it's just not what ang's looking for ang does not want to kill this man but the lion turtle the almighty lion turtle that has been there before anybody else this almighty powerful being shows him the key to bending bending <laughs> I get what energy <laughs> bending you see what i did with the fingers yeah i know <laughs> it's terrifying um <laughs> yeah that as you brought up so we sort of jumped the gun with the central conflict there um because yeah they find out okay we need to stop ozai during the comet or before the comet because otherwise he's going to destroy the world and there will yeah. be no world to save so now ang needs to do this and now it, it fully comes into focus this fact that he needs to confront and stop ozai and for everyone else that means kill him like completely just rid the world of him and ang as you mentioned doesn't want to do that and i like the way that this is again drawing from his own personal experience as the last airbender he's the last air nomad he's the last of his people of his culture which really privileges pacifism being gentle being in non-violent right being creative and evasive being clever in fights um not doing it out of anything other than defense mm-hmm. and so that is the person who ang is i also like that and they don't really bring to the surface explicitly but there's that implicit notion that ang recognizes that he is the last airbender for all he knows i mean he will be the last one especially if he fails in this he doesn't want to compromise that part of himself that part of him that is so valuable and meaningful to him mm-hmm. in killing ozai because that just completely goes against his culture he's the last standard bearer for that culture he wants to continue it he doesn't want to betray it and maybe part of him feels like if he does go through that action and kills ozai if it comes time to rebuild and try to restart the air nomads like is he going to have the capacity to do that to impart the wisdom and teachings of the monks if he didn't live up to their teachings uh, if he betrayed that core messages and core philosophies of the air nomads so i really like how they they set this up as a conflict between ang and his just essential core personality in nature but also his entire culture which he is the last of and is the final representative of and that is pitted against his duty being the avatar being the person that needs to because he's the only one that really can stop ozai once and for all and save the world and so it's this clash between what he wants to do wanting to stay true to himself and doing what is needed of him by the world so i think that's just a beautiful dynamic and as you brought up in the episode two the old masters is when mm. he's meditating and seeking guidance from each of those those past avatars so where am i roku what is this place i don't know Aang. but i see that you are lost in more ways than one right now I am. I need to figure out what to do once I face the Fire Lord. Everyone expects me to take the Fire Lord's life, but I just don't know if I can do that. In my life, I tried to be disciplined and show restraint, but it backfired 
when Fire Lord Sozin took advantage of my restraint and mercy. If I had been more decisive and acted sooner, I could have stopped Sozin and stopped the war before it started. I offer you this wisdom, Aang. You must be decisive. And Roku, which as we know from episode 6, Avatar and Fire Lord, he's like, you gotta do it, be decisive. Kill Ozai, I wasn't decisive, I spared him. And look at what happened, that's what caused this um, when he spared Sozin. So you need to be decisive when you face Ozai. In my day, Jin the Conqueror threatened to throw the world out of balance. I stopped him, and the world entered a great era of peace. But you didn't really kill Jin. Technically, he fell to his own doom because he was too stubborn to get out of the way. Personally, I don't really see the difference. But I assure you, I would have done whatever it took to stop Jin. I offer you this wisdom, Aang. Only justice will bring peace. Kyoshi, we knew what she was going to say. She's all about, look, kill that boy. Cut off his head. She mentioned that, like, technically didn't kill Chin the Conqueror, but she would have. She says, I don't really see a difference. Yeah, she's like. She really says, she's like, what's the difference? He's dead. I'm responsible for it. Who cares? I would have done it anyway. For real. So, again, she's fully in the camp. She's out here saying, um, no justice, no peace. You need to kill him. That's the way that we will get the peace. I am Avatar Kurok. When I was young, I was always a go-with-the-flow kind of avatar. People seemed to work out their own problems, and there was peace and good times in the world. But then, I lost the woman I loved to Ko, the face-stealer. It was my fault. If I had been more attentive and more active, I could have saved her. Aang, you must actively shape your own destiny and the destiny of the world. Avatar Kurik, who we learn more about, we learn that he was, because I don't think we specifically knew it, that he was the one whose wife had been stolen by the face dealer spirit. Yeah. Yeah, That's when he reveals it now. He was just a chill dude. And he, he like choked, I guess, being the avatar. Yeah. So he was like, be active in shaping the destiny mm-hmm. of the world. So again, another sort of nod, uh, nudge in the kill Ozai direction. I am Avatar Yang Chen, young airbender. Avatar Yang Chen. The monks always taught me that all life is sacred. Even the life of the tiniest spider fly caught in its own web. Yes, all life is sacred. I know I'm even a vegetarian. I've always tried to solve my problems by being quick or clever, and I've only had to use violence for necessary defense. And I've certainly never used it to take a life. Avatar Aang, I know that you're a gentle spirit, and the monks have taught you well. But this isn't about you. This is about the world. But the monks taught me that I had to detach myself from the world so my spirit could be free. Many great and wise air nomads have detached themselves, and achieve spiritual enlightenment. But the Avatar can never do it, because your sole duty is to the world. Here is my wisdom for you. 
Selfless duty calls you to sacrifice your own spiritual needs and do whatever it takes to protect the world. Uh, Yang Chen, she, as you mentioned, was at Airbender. And it was interesting because Aang was like, oh, I need guidance from somebody who's going to be coming from my perspective, who had the upbringing in the air nomad culture. And Yang Chen does the same thing where she's like, it's really beautiful and sweet that you have a gentle spirit um, and that you have internalized all those great teachings from the monks, but you need to do what it takes to save the world. You need to sacrifice your own spiritual needs and save the world, which I think was a very critical thing to say. And at this point, Aang was, I think, going to do it. I don't think he was going to be happy about it, but at this point, I mean, with all the guidance he was given, um, the only answer seemed to be doing that. I Maybe he still could have tried to disarm him and do it that way. But as you mentioned, it is the lion turtle that gives him mm -hmm. the way. And so the way. he, we don't see what exactly the lion turtle does. He says some philosophical stuff, says darkness yields to purifying light, does a little <laughs> tap on his forehead and chest, and it glows green. And then he drops Aang off at the cliffside, which is where he is told to wait for Ozai for that battle. And we don't know yet what happened what Aang was given, what wisdom or what power, we don't necessarily know. We, the audience, are not given that until very later on. And that is something we can come back to and talk about, um, the effectiveness of this. But shifting to some of our other characters, Zuko and the gang, after they realize they can't find Aang when he disappeared, they instead, well, they go and find June and her mole creature thing that tracked Aang back in season one. So that was a nice callback, but then once they're like, okay, we cannot find Aang, they go to the next best thing and look for Iroh. And they arrive there, and we finally get to see... The well, first we get to see the White Lotus stuff, which is so Which is cool. fantastic. We get to see all the members of it, so we see Pian Dao is back. But Zhang we see Zhang. Umi and Zhang Zhang um, and Paku, so that's great. We get to learn more about them, like Umi and the... You mean Grandpa? True. Grand Paku. Grand Paku. Um, so we, yeah, learned that, that she rekindled with Katara and Sokka's, or that he rekindled with Katara and Sokka's grandma. Um, Bumi reclaimed Omashu in the Eclipse, did a single-handedly within eight minutes. Incredible Very stuff. Very quick, yeah. For real. He's old, but he can, he can move quick. He's still got it. Uh, and so we see them, and that's very great. But then they go into the city to see the Grand master of the white lotus iroh and zuko is at the precipice of his sort of arc here it's about to be complete he's about to go in and beg forgiveness from iroh and he is waiting outside of the tent because he can't really do it katara comes up and i think this is again a beautiful showcase of katara's compassion she knows from herself i mean she really didn't care much for zuko and had a lot of um disdain and anger toward him and she was able to forgive Zuko she knows that Iroh is going to do the same so she gives him that last bit of encouragement to go in the tent and face Zuko and he does and Iroh sleeping and snoring fantastic <laughs> and it's, it's so perfect because Zuko isn't upset he isn't like trying to wake him up he just sits and he patiently waits 
And then Iroh wakes up and he can just like sense that Zuko's there. And Zuko starts giving his whole speech, his whole spiel about what he's done. And he's begging, begging for forgiveness. And Iroh, in traditional Iroh fashion, just doesn't, doesn't even like care about any of the bad things he's done anymore and just hugs him. And he says that great line where he's like, I was never mad at you. I just thought you had lost your way. And oh, dude, tears. It's beautiful. Tears streaming down my face. Uncle. I know you must have mixed feelings about seeing me. But I want you to know, I am so, so sorry, Uncle. I am so sorry and ashamed of what I did. I don't know how I can ever make it up to you, but I... How can you forgive me so easily? I thought you would be furious with me. I was never angry with you. I was sad because I was afraid you lost your way. I did lose my way. But you found it again. And you did it by yourself. And I am so happy you found your way here. It wasn't that hard, Uncle. You have a pretty strong scent. Dude, the voice acting as well. There's many moments, like on the beach, Mm -hmm. Zuko, I think there was great voice acting in that when he was like not knowing like well, who are you angry at Zuko who are you angry at and it all crescendos there like the way Dante Bosco the voice actor built that up was incredible mm -hmm. but oh my god the voice acting here when he's apologizing to Iroh you 100% feel it oh it is so heart-wrenching to see to see that and it's also you see when Iroh gives a line Zuko's shocked he's like how can you forgive me so quickly he entirely expected to be rejected in the same way that i mean his father had done to him before when he was kneeling on the ground begging for mercy and forgiveness he didn't expect iroh to lend any sort of caring towards him but he did because iroh's beautiful iroh an amazing beautiful. man and I so we iroh. finally see that completion and it's so beautiful and joyous and i love the way that iroh was such a background part of this season like physically we didn't see him much or hear from him much but yeah. he was always at the forefront in terms of zuko's character like we see that when he tries to imitate iroh and be like what would iroh say many mm -hmm. times throughout like does it boiling rock as well trying to cheer yeah. Sokka up um so it's clear that zuko did hear and internalize all those sayings that Iroh was saying, even if he doesn't know what they mean, but he was able to change and transform things to Iroh, and finally Iroh gets to see a changed Zuko, and ah, uh, that is so beautiful. He was able to help his nephew. He couldn't do it for his son, but for his new son, he was able to. God, that is just so beautiful. One of the best arcs in history, in any story. Incredible. It's just fantastic and beautiful and so moving. Mm -hmm. You love to see it. It's so amazing. Very wonderful. I love everything with Zuko and Iroh and that whole setup with the White Lotus and then watching them take back Boston. I love Iroh's development and his arc comes to a conclusion that he talks about how when he was a child, he had a vision of him taking Boston Say and he thought he would do that in the name of the Fire Nation. And he now realizes that he's going to take Bossing Say away from the Fire Nation and return it back to its rightful owners, the Earth Kingdom. And watching him do that and complete his arc and finally 
finally take bossing say he's amazing beautiful good for iroh i just love all of that a hundred percent the way that the white lotus all came together to liberate bossing say oh it is so beautiful as you said the way that that his arc comes full circle because we hear about that so much and that was such a critical part in his journey for all that we know prior to his failure his defeat at bossing say when he lost his son I mean, he was a proud Fire Nation general, doing what he needed to do, continuing the conquest, but then became disillusioned with the war and all that once he lost his son. Um, and then afterwards, truly changed and became the wise, gentle, caring man that we now know. And so it's beautiful that he completes his arc, taking Bossing Se, but in a way that he never initially thought he would. It's just so beautiful. It's very smart writing. You incredible stuff really absolutely beautiful start to finish then we get to our next part of the show which is the actual action sequences you have everybody splitting off to do their own thing ang is facing ozai uh sokka suki and toff are fighting these big air blooms trying to take those down and of course uh suko and katara are off to go face that last agni kai with azula i want to start with the I want to build up to Ozai and Aang, and I want to start with what I think is is the best part. Well, let's start. Let's of... do the let's start with the Sokka Suki Toff. Oh, we'll get to the Agni guy, and then we'll get to Ozai Aang. All right, we gotta start because I feel that. like that is yeah, I the level of emotional much. investment in cool action. I think is okay the tier of it. So, well, Sokka... I disagree on that, but okay, okay. Sure. To me, well, the I, Agni Kai is the best part. I mean, it is beautiful, but I mean, the crescendo of the whole show is the Ozai Aang fight. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah, both beautiful stuff. So the Sokka, Suki, Toph stuff is also really great. I like, for the character moments, Toph, like she has fully gone into trusting people and looking to other people for help um, when she needs to and realizing that that is not a weakness, that's part of strength. So we see that when Sokka is like, or when she's like, yo, where is the airships when they're all taking off? Um, Sokka points it out and she immediately launches them up so that they can get on top of the airships. That was great. Also, the metal bending that she does when she gets that whole suit of armor. Incredible. That was incredible. I don't know how she didn't get fried. Just when she when busts into that under, room. That Dude. was so cool. Like she busts into rolls, does a somersault, and then brings all the metal around her from the door into that suit of armor that's just so cool and then just cleans so house powerful. destroys all of them that's fantastic as Sokka said it's just so cool that she invented metal bending. it really Great is stuff. she's absolutely incredible and then we have Sokka coming in as the sort of tactician here there they've got one blimp under control they've gotten rid of the people inside of that blimp by dumping them off with a birthday ruse <laughs> that is funny and now they are facing the problem of they have the Fire Lord's ship all the way in the front, and they've got like eight of them left. What is he going to do? He sees Aang fighting Ozai, and he sees Aang does an air slice, and he, he connects the two, and he makes his own thought. He comes up with his own plan, airship slice, where he's going to take his airship that he's in, and he's going to slice across all of the other ones, hopefully destroying them, which is just like, it's just showing how, how quick thinking he is on his feet. And how he's always thinking about the mission, how he's always he's gotten to the part point where he doesn't have to plan everything all at once. And now he's based on his experience in the boiling rock, he's able to think more on his feet 
and make quicker decisions that could impact the overall weight of any kind of battle that they're in. So they go up and they do that airship slice, which is super cool, like a great idea. Just to just go right across the top of each one of them and try and cut them open. I think that's fantastic. Just very cool. It's hard when when the ship breaks in half and Suki dies, quote unquote dies, like she she falls and we just don't see where she goes. That's very sad. Like I was I was very worried the first time I saw this, I was like, where did she go? What happened? And then it cuts away and goes and does something else. I was very concerned. But we do have more development with Toph and Sokka, and they're on this other ship, and he has to make the choice. The next big character moment is Sokka has to make the choice between Toph, who's holding on for dear life, and the Firebrand is about to attack him, and he has his meteorite sword, and he sacrifices the sword that he worked so hard to make because it's just a sword, and he knocks the Firebrander down, but loses the sword, which falls into the ocean. So obviously, the boomerang too. Before that, he threw the boomerang at the he one did too, on yes. the other side, and then threw the sword. He lost so the physical remnants of his character yeah. in one big moment, and then he's still holding on to Toph, and he doesn't know if they can hold on. And then boom, Suki comes back, and she's air surfing a blimp, which <laughs> is absolutely incredible. And I mean, you have no idea the joy on my face when Sokka sees Suki. And Suki smiles. Dude, the smile that Suki gives when she sees them too is fantastic. Like the joy I was experiencing in that moment is unreal, like any other. But can we talk about how bad her plan was? Her plan was to take the blimp and just ram the blimp that Sokka and Toph are on. That was her yeah. plan. In that moment, why would you do why would you just ram the other blimp? Like, yes, it worked out for the best. But her, it's like a split second. He goes, Suki, and then she smiles, and then she just rams their blimp full speed. Thank God it worked out, I guess. True, true. I mean, I mean, I guess, but if they were to, like, got jostled off, wasn't the blimp underneath the yeah, other it was one? Like, it didn't go lower. over the top. It was lower. Yeah, so that it was, it was like an underside fall. swipe. This yeah. is true. But it was still, let's just ram the other blimp. I mean, yeah. It was a little reckless but Risque. also when they all ran into the other blimps when they were all three on top of the this one I mean, that was also reckless so true but it worked true. out it worked out and they were able to take down the rest of that fleet very true now for the agni guy the last agni guy which is let's go one of the best if not the best fights in western animation and in all animation it's just incredible again we want to talk about the writing and stuff but the animation in the sequence gorgeous and like the the subversion of it by being so quiet and so focused on the music just overpowering the scene not heroic but this sad melodic violin tune that they had so beautiful because it's reflective of this is a sad fight between siblings here this is tragic what is going on it's not some heroic amazing thing that we should have a whole mm-hmm. orchestra for so that is incredible and then again the vibrant colors the contrast between the orange and the blue striking each other throughout the entire fight just so beautiful they really added themselves with this finale in terms of animation and the music and all of that stuff it's fantastic yeah i think it's just one of, it's my favorite part of this finale is this agni kai i like it more than the ozai ang battle uh, I just think it's just beautiful the way they build up to it with Azula. Just going full crazy in this second to last part where she's, or this third to last part. 
and she's just getting rid of everybody that she trusts around her. She tells the Dai Li to leave. She tells her two advisors to leave. She's firing all the, her staff around her. She's just become paranoid because of this. It's it's uh, effects of what happened at the Boiling Rock when she was betrayed by her two best friends. She now has this sort of trauma from that experience. Now she thinks that all the people that are around her that she trusts so much can betray her at any moment. And so she's just getting rid of them left and right. And now she's left defenseless. She is traumatized. She is mentally unwell. She's her makeup is really bad. She's just looking rough, yes. real rough. She lost and, the battle with her hair. Yeah. And now she has to do an Agni Kai against her brother. And they're both very powerful benders. And just to watch them fight over this, over the, the to be the Fire Lord. They're fighting to be the Fire Lord against one another. And it's just so sad to see their relationship go from where it was at the beginning of the season to where it is now just to crumble to this point of them dueling each other to supposedly the death is what right. is supposedly supposed to be happening. Like Azula is all in on this thing. She's willing to kill. And we see that when she is realizing that she's outmatched and that Zuko is going to win. And then she pulls out the lightning and, and decides that she knows that Zuko can redirect it. I'm assuming Ozai probably told her that this happened. So she knows that he has the ability to do so. So rather than throw it at her, knowing full well he can put it right back to her and possibly injure her greatly, she throws it to uh, Katara, which is a, a great like. It still it shows that she, even though she is crazy and that she is just out of her wits in this moment, she's still able to make slightly logical decisions that could advantage her. They're cold, calculating decisions, like how we've seen her do this whole time. But she's still able to make these even in her worst moments. And Zuko, of course, takes the fall. He's able to absorb it and reflect it back up in the sky, but it still was unexpected and he wasn't prepared. And so it still left uh, this sort of feeling in him that is very powerful. And now we get to the cooler part of the, the not cooler, but a cool part of the Agni Kai where it's now Azula versus Katara. And you would think it's it's relatively matched relatively because when we first met when they first dueled together at the end of season two katara was beating azula for the most part like zuko had to come in and stop that fight we talked about this zuko had to be on azula's side in order for azula to win otherwise katara would have beaten her and we get to this moment and yes azula is a more powerful bender because of the comet but she's also very much unhinged so it kind of brings her back down she's less focused and so I feel like they are pretty well evenly matched. And so it can go either way at this moment. And we, we can see that it can go either way. We know they're both super powerful. We get a lot of cool, vivid imagery of Katara doing waterbending with all the water in the sewers, doing surfing against the waves, doing the octopus again. Just a lot of cool things that we've seen so far. And then the she she does something that we don't get to see Katara do a lot of throughout the series she gets a moment of strategy where she can recuperate, analyze her environment, and then make a plan based on it very quickly, which is something that Sokka is usually in charge of doing. And Azula tries to get the upper hand, but Katara freezes both of them and is, is able to, in that moment, chain up Azula and permanently lock her down so that she loses. And I think that's just so cool that they were able to find a way to spare Azula. And let me talk about great voice acting. I mean, oh my gosh, that she, talk about a thing that was her, burned in my mind since I first watched it. Thank you, Katara. 
think I'm the one who should be thanking you. Just her screaming, her screaming and crying and heaving, his breathing fire chained to that grate, just like because she knows that she's lost and that's it. And just, oh, her reaction to all that is just so fantastic. It is, again, great voice acting, as you said. And it's so soul crushing to see that. I mean, you Absolutely. feel so bad for her in that moment. And I want to take that opportunity to rewind it a bit back to the whole Azula as she's in that descent becoming more isolated banishing everyone and their mother away from her um to where she then has this hallucination of her mother in the mirror which i think is such an interesting choice that they had here because this could very well be the first person that azula saw as the person who betrayed her or someone who abandoned Mm -hmm. her and we see her again bringing up that fear element saying even you fear me and ursa goes no i love you and then that's what sends her off like she throws the thing at ursa um which is partially i think a reaction against not being feared because again that is the thing that she privileges above all else but it's important Mm -hmm. that again it's another love situation where ursa is expressing love instead of fear and that's to azula that is weakness that is the ultimate weakness there and then so she lashes out at it and tries to destroy it and control it and overcome it, which is really another element of tragedy in her story. I think, again, you should probably watch this episode after it if you're not too saturated with Avatar content, but it was from the YouTube channel Hello Future Me, which is a whole bunch of Avatar stuff. But there, mm. his video on Azula's psychology is really, really good because it digs into the fact that she was brought up in this awful environment that rewarded and encouraged being cruel and callous and calculating over being gentle, being compassionate, being empathetic. Um, We see that in like the Zuko alone episode, I think she does have a lot of cruel tendencies just innately, or at least more so than Zuko. Like, I don't know why she would be hurting those turtle ducks, things like that. Like the reaction to, Zuko getting burned way back in the storm, like having actual glee when that happens. Like that stuff is pretty twisted. So I think there's something innate about Azula that already was predisposed to those behaviors and that mindset. But it Mm -hmm. certainly was exacerbated by the fact that Ozai was really bringing up Zuko and Azula to be his tools, to be his weapons, to be the people that he can send out to conquer Bossing Sei and claim the avatar and do all those great things that he'll take credit for that is the environment that they were brought up in and we saw that zuko had his mother at least in the beginning right to show gentleness and compassion towards him um where and then of course ira later on which kept him on the right path again i think he was already predisposed again with like the turtle duck situation um the various ways that we see him truly care for ira throughout the series i think he was more on the quote-unquote good side of the spectrum anyway, mm-hmm. um, than Azula. Yeah. But Azula 
was truly isolated from those positive developmental uh, role models because Ursa was taken away in the beginning. And when Ursa was there, Azula believed that Ursa saw her as a monster. Mm-hmm. We see like that one comment in Zuko alone when she's like, what is wrong with that child? It was probably overheard by Azula. She was probably criticized by Ursa a lot for like whenever she's bullying Zuko. Oh, that was also very twisted when she was like in a sing-songy way teasing Zuko about his death, him getting killed by their father. Yeah, that was also very vicious. So again, I feel like it's not all entirely the product of like the nature versus nurture. I feel like a lot. And then you, some of it got, is the nurture, but you've also got Zuko, who's like in response to that, he's like reciting something to himself. He's saying Azula always lies. Azula always lies. Right. Azula always lies. So it's like definitely something that we see as part of her nature, and that's something that everybody around her knows about her. Right. But I do think I do agree that a lot of it, a lot of it is that nurture as well, because she had the same sort of desire for, sure. for approval and attention and validation from her father. And if you're in the environment where, I mean, you're in the royal court, again, those nastier qualities are being encouraged and rewarded. And the only times you're really getting reprimanded is by your mother, who's um, seeing you like, oh, what's wrong with that child? Always sort of criticizing you. You're probably going to run more towards the parent who is giving you not that affection, but that that validation um, and that affirmation when you are doing those bad things. So you're going to do more of those bad things. And that probably developed that mindset of fear is how I can control people. This is the most important aspect of social interaction. It's not love, right? That is weakness. I need to stay away from that. That needs to be suppressed or destroyed. It is fear that I need to use in order to be what I want to be and do what I need to do. So I think that part of it is very interesting in her downfall seeing Ursa in the mirror, once again, citing this thing about, oh, you fear me. Like she craves having that fear. Um, but then when Ursa expresses a love, which again, this is a product of Azula's mind. So we feel like, okay, Azula does actually know that deep down Ursa never really hated or anything. She probably did very much care and love for her. But again, because that is not the, the quality um, or emotion that she cares for most, she had to destroy it. And that's why we see her lash out. The other points about the Agni Kai, I mean, you discussed very well how that was great, but just to touch a bit more on it, the you see how unrefined and inelegant, out of breath Azula is throughout this fight. Um, as compared to Zuko's, he's very composed. He's cool. He has strong breath. He's using those dancing dragon techniques and whatnot. So it's a complete reversal of that initial fight that they had, where again, she was very much in control, calculating, uh, emotionless about it. Mm -hmm. And he was, every time he had a fire bass, he was grunting or screaming. Um, Whereas this time, I don't think he did at all. And she was during parts of it. Um, We see that she is completely, I mean, lost it, lost that composure that was so critical to her, as we remember in the beginning, perfection, one, hair was out of place and she's like this is not good enough i need to be perfect here Mm -hmm. i mean the complete embodiment of imperfection uh and it's it's her downfall and as you said that is such an amazing moment the way that katara 
is able to beat Azula, another like that the whole it's brilliant comet uh impact comet powered agni kai i mean the colors and whatnot certainly burned in my brain but also i just thought it was so cool when i first saw it katara being able to create that like ice shield around them to to freeze them and then she's able to move and just chain her up like that was fantastic i love the way that she was able to to beat again azula on her own um two out of two she was able to do that so that was yeah. fantastic a great ending and as you said uh it's just crushing to see the azula screaming out breathing fire from her mouth crying it's just horrible to see and you see katara and zuko also are clearly affected by it it's rough but the last agni kai mm-hmm. amazing battle amazing writing amazing culmination of zuko and azula's relationship Zuko also willing to like nearly sacrifice himself to save Katara, showing how far he's come as well. Just beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff. Incredible. And now that brings us to the ultimate battle that we've been building up to since the very beginning of the show, and that is Aang versus the Fire Lord Ozai. I mean, incredible animation all around, yet again. The combination of 2D and 3D animation to merge this whole scene together is beautiful. The putting it, you know, the design of all the spires and how that's where they're going to place this is incredible right next to a sea so that you can have Aang utilizing all of his powers all at once is absolutely wonderful. Uh, seeing Aang's development throughout the fight is a wonderful thing to see. Seeing him start off trying to reason with the Fire Lord and try to settle this with words and try to tell him that he does not have to do this and that this this can be settled in another way and that they don't have to end like this and Ozai's just total arrogance and calling him a child that he's nothing but a child and that he's weak and that his people are weak and then they fight it out but the fight for the most part is just Aang once again doing what he always does which is just fleeing and defending as opposed to aggressive fighting because that's how he was raised that's how his, his philosophy is with the monks is very much defending himself and trying not to attack too much and ozai is just challenging him and pushing him and further and further and further and they're just fighting and i mean ozai is terrifying let me tell you but they're just still going and going and going chasing him all the way around ang is using everything at his disposal he's using all the bending powers that he has everything that he's learned and he's still losing this battle so obviously he was correct in at the beginning of this four part. He is not ready to fight the fire Lord on his own. He needs additional help. And that helps. Did you mention mention when Ozai shoots the lightning at Aang during that one part? Oh yeah. He shoots. So Ozai brings out the lightning, shoots a couple of shots and we see Aang fleeing it. But then finally he sort of is forced to, accept it like receive it and then do the redirection technique which i think is amazing for many different reasons one of which is ozai has to know that zuko taught ang this the only other person he's ever seen do the redirection is zuko and so he knows for sure that zuko helped ang like found ang and was able to teach him all the firebending but as well as this technique mm-hmm. so that is amazing because you see the pure shock on his face ang he has this chance to kill Ozai. He could finish it. He is initially pointing it 
straight at Ozai's stupid face. Stupid ugly face. He sees like the shock in it. He's like, it is a human life there. And so he decides, I'm not going to kill him. I'm not going to do this and points it away. Um, And then that allows Ozai a chance to like recoup and send another attack Aang's way. And that's really where Aang starts getting rocked by uh, Ozai to where he needs Mm -hmm. to get to that little rock shell, um, which is so like the shot of him being so scared in Mm -hmm. that rock shell is he's getting blasted by Ozai's fire and he's doing that whole thing about calling him weak and his people were weak and didn't deserve to be in this world. Um, Dude, it's hard to see. It's so sad because he's just a kid and he's really fearful, I'm sure, at this moment. Um, But then, as you mentioned, there is something that needs to happen in order to turn this fight around and make sure that Aang is able to come out on top. And what is it, Dylan? He gets hit in the back with a rock. Yes. <laughs> what are your What are your thoughts on that as a way to unblock his chi? So here's the thing. That was also something that was entirely burned in my mind. Just because, like, it is a very visceral moment. Like, everyone cringes a bit or, like, their spine gets erect when they see him just plunge into that pointed rock. Um, and it goes right into his wound and it unlocks the chakras um, and allows him to re-enter the avatar state. People have criticized this because it is just a random rock and like it's a complete coincidence that that happens, like the almost deus ex machina. And I agree that that's not the way they should have done it. Here's what I would have done. Because I love the moment afterwards where he just grabs Ozai's beard and he's in the avatar state. That is so cool. So I want to preserve that. But I don't want to have this random deus ex machina. It's so weird. So here's what should have happened. They should have had him like land near the bottom of that pillar. Yes. Fleeing from Ozai. Ozai shoots the lightning at Aang. Like maybe Aang just escaped another blast. This so Aang hasn't yet redirected the lightning in my version. Ozai shoots a lightning blast at Aang. He's up against the wall, can't really go anywhere. He has to receive and redirect it. So he does. And we get that same scene play out where he's about to shoot Ozai realizes he like he just can't take a life in this way so he decides not to so he points it upwards like not like the random side but he points it upwards we see on his back the lightning shift in a way to where it like sort of goes over the wound and like sort of goes in it like you see the static uh just going around there and then that's what causes right the spasm to happen uh we have the whole avatar state entrance it's a mirror of what happened originally, which is when he got shot with lightning when he was unlocking the seventh chakra. So it makes sense that the physical thing that would unlock the chakra again would be the lightning. Mm-hmm. That I don't know why they didn't go with that. It was like so obvious and straightforward. Lightning is what unlocks it. So this very first time that he ever redirects lightning, he receives it. He's about to do the killing thing. So we get that character moment. He decides not to, decides to point it up. We see it roll over his back. Boom, he gets him the shock. And so we see that like brief spasm as it sends it in the air. It clips the side of the rocks so that they like fall down on him. Um, and so Ozai's like kind of shocked about the thing, but thinks he's like dead. So it goes up and is about to destroy him. And then we get the grabbing the beard coming out with the Avatar state fully yeah. unlocked. I think that would have been so much better. It would have been 11 times better because you wouldn't have had that the just pointed rock thing was a little foolish and it would have made the whole like why hasn't his chakra been 
unlocked again at this point. Like, why is it taking so long? It just gives it much more cohesion. So I would have loved if they had did that instead. I think it would have been much, much better. It's interesting they went with Boyd Rock. Yes, it was very a strange writing choice for a show that's so well thought out in many other For ways. sure. Very odd. But then we get the great moment where he combines all four elements into this big orb, and he's just whooping so cool. Ozai's butt, just chasing so him around, cool. and Ozai's terrified. And then finally he gets to the point where he he channels all four elements into one big point. He sends it up into the air, spirals back down, is about to hit Ozai, and then just lets it all go and leaves the Avatar State and just, just splatters <laughs> all over Ozai. And then Ozai realizes that this is his moment. He tries to get the upper hand. Aang beats him to the punch, gets him in a lock and rocks, and then boom, what does he do, Ryan? That man <laughs> brings his one hand up to his forehead, one hand up to his chest, and then blue light erupts from his eyes and his mouth, and Ozai is shook, but then also red light bursts from his eyes and his mouth, and then we see the whole like sky gets lit up in that dichotomy of the red and blue. We hear the lion turtle narrating something about in order to bend somebody's energy, your own spirit must be unbendable or you will be corrupted and destroyed as they slowly, fully become red and blue. And then you see the red of Ozai inching up ever so slowly onto Aang and it goes all around his body, up to his neck, onto his face, covers one eye, one his mouth. And then when it's about to cover the other eye, Boom! A rush of blue overcomes Aang and Ozai. Immediately, the whole world lights up blue, and it is done. Aang has energy bended. The fire bending has been stripped from the Fire Lord, and that is the climax of the battle. It's beautiful. It's amazing that they're able to to finally come together and create that conclusion where Aang can preserve his philosophy and preserve his way of life and not kill Ozai but still end the war in a way that is not violence begets more violence it is taking his power away because he does not deserve it anymore he's used it for cruelty and for pain and he no longer has the right for to have that fire bending and I think that's amazing yes 100% my one qualm though What's is your gripe? they should have introduced or alluded to energy bending some time before these initial episodes because i can see and there has been some criticism levied towards this finale and that it almost comes out of nowhere as another like deus es machina um where we didn't really understand what the lion turtle did to ang and we don't really understand what's fully happening when the blue and red like they're just beams of light coming out of their faces and we don't really know what's happening and of course i like i can't remember time before when i did know what was happening so it didn't affect again this most recent rewatch because i knew what was happening i knew he was taking away his bending and that's like what energy bending was mm -hmm. um but i for a first time viewer i can see how they'd be completely lost as to what is going on and i guess partially that was the intent of the writers but i i really do think it this would have benefited even more if they had done some additional setup with the fact that energy can be bended or that lion turtles were masters of some sort of pre-elemental bending art form that 
as like some really important power or something like that, or we just have some sort of allusion to bending, maybe not being taken away, but being changed or restricted or granted or something like that from the Lion Turtles so that this is set up in more than just the 40 minutes that came before when mm-hmm. he does energy bending for the first time. So I can see how that also like can be a criticism for why people are like, oh, that was a somewhat weak part of the episode. But yeah, I also love it so much. I think it's so cool. Like even back when it first happened, I was like, that is just amazing. And I love it. Yeah. And again, I am it's just nippy. through nostalgia and whatnot. I am completely still in love with it and how it ends. Yeah. And then seeing him uh, repairing the world, essentially, like using the Avatar state, which he now has control over, to do something good, like not causing harm to other people, which, of course, he was always concerned about. I also think mm-hmm. it's great how the Avatar, like you hear all of them, and they're like, you're about to pay the ultimate price, Ozai, but then Aang is able to take control of his body again and chooses to spare Jose at that moment. I think that's beautiful. And then him like bringing mm-hmm. up the waters to quench the fires, that's amazing. Then you have Momo come up to Aang, and we get the big crescendo of the Avatar theme. So beautiful. So amazing. Incredible. Great way to end all of the conflict in this show. Yes. And then the very, very final stuff, we see that Zuko going to his, oh, well, it was a great moment where Zuko and Aang are talking right before they go out on stage and get applauded by everyone. And they both affirm that they are friends now, and that is so beautiful. A great callback to when Aang was like, you think we can be friends? Um, if things were different, Zuko blasts them. Now, Zuko is like, yes, we are friends. I can't believe a year ago my purpose in life was hunting you down. And now... And now we're friends. Yeah, we are friends. I can't believe a year ago I was still frozen in a block of ice. The world's so different now. And it's gonna be even more different. We'll rebuild it together. Today, this war is finally over. I promised my uncle that I would restore the honor of the Fire Nation, and I will. The road ahead of us is challenging. A hundred years of fighting has left the world scarred and divided. But with the Avatar's help, we can get it back on the right path and begin a new era of love and peace. All hail Fire Lord Zuko!
it's beautiful. They go out. He's applauded as the new fire lord, but he's like the true hero is Aang, who is in the traditional air nomad garments that we see Monkey Atso wear, like a necklace and the the robe. Yeah. So that is beautiful as well to see. You love it, and all the people in the audience are like the four nations. Um, well, the three nations, and then a bunch of the other people that are from just other areas in the world. So again, bringing balance, we're gonna usher in a new era of peace and love. Okay, but let's talk about how in that scene there were four rows of people. It was like the swamp benders, right? Yeah, well, the entire how fourth that many swamp benders. There's the entire <laughs> fourth row is just bayou benders. Like what? They become the fourth nation. <laughs> like get out it's of your air. Insane swamp. <laughs> They could have made it like a fourth row that was just a grouping of all the extra people. Yeah, Yeah, like just like the Bayou Benders, the Sand Benders, maybe like a bunch of other people. Or just like like a mixed column of the Firebenders, Waterbenders, the Earthbenders. But no, it was just Bayou Benders. (laughs) They populated very quickly, apparently. Um, So yeah, that's great. In the finale, we also get to see May rekindles with with Zuko. Ty Lee joins the Kyoshi Warriors, which is nice. Which... Okay, let's talk about that too. Okay, her whole arc in the beach was that she didn't like that she looks just like her sisters. Well, and this is the never growth. Stood. That's called growth, Dylan. But we now didn't see it happen. Of her. Well, <laughs> that well, happened became, when she was in prison when we weren't where we weren't there. That's true, but I think it is a nice little. I mean, it's a slight arc for her, but it does show that. Yeah, I mean, she is now comfortable with who she is. That she could okay have seen with, that with being well limited limited time in the series but yeah that was a nice little uh wrap up to another side character Katara and Sokka are able to reunite once again with their father for the final time thankfully finally they're able to just be finished with the war and exist as a family again so that's all great and in the true ending ending scene it's all the people at the tea shop in Bossing Say. Amazing. Iroh is playing the Sungi horn. Sokka is making a portrait of everyone, but he still sucks at drawing. So that's a nice moment. They're like, what is that? Oh, that's your hair loopies. Why do I, like May had some sort of issues. Like I look like a man. Um, everyone else was, had some sort of issues. But Toph says, I think you all look great. <laughs> like, that's a beautiful moment at the end, just to wrap everything up. And then we have Aang at peace. In, in a great place with all of his friends there, goes out to look at the sunset over Bossing Say. Katara comes out and joins him. They hug, they share a look, and then they kiss. And then we you get the your... crescendo of the, the beautiful music as they're still kissing, and it goes out over to the sunset, and it's the end, and it's beautiful. And yes, that's your all, fulfillment. Yes, my fulfillment of Aang and Katara kissing finally happened. They're together. It is amazing. What an ending. And the show's over. Woo! Good we, work, everybody. We did it. We talked about everything. All right. Some final thoughts on Avatar The Last Airbender. After seeing it all again, what do you believe is your favorite season? It's got to be season three, man. I just, I love it so much the entirety of the back half stuff where zuko's with them like as i told you that is the main stuff that stuck in my mind yeah so there's that storytelling added, as you said like that nostalgia of seeing the things that are familiar to you but then seeing in context of the rest of 
what has been developed about the world and the characters. That's just magical. I really love the finale, even though it's flawed. It is still really amazing and incredible. I absolutely love each of the the field trips each character has with Zuko. That stuff, I think, is just great. Like, those are just top-tier episodes. And then so much of the first half of Season 3 is just a, a much better written version of Season 1 with that more episodic storytelling style instead of the serialized where each episode is flowing into the other. It's more of a like a complete start and end for each episode. But I think each of them are much more compelling and revealing about the characters. And it gives us so many new things about the world bending, like the blood bending stuff mm-hmm. is just incredible. So, and then learning about the Fire Nation as well is cool. Like I love Aang having the hair and just being a part of the Fire Nation for a bit. Yeah. Um, like that's just all amazing. And so it's not like a crazy distance between season two and season three because season two is also exceptionally written but season three there's just something so joyous and magical about it that it just warms my heart thinking about it because it's book three fire but it truly is fantastic i love it so much it's also a great culmination i mean it is worth noting that this is the thing that has to take everything that's come before and bring it together and make it cohesive and make sense and bring it all full circle and it does that really effectively so for me it's got to be season three but what about you we said at last episode it was season two we have now rewatched season three and discussed it what is your favorite season going i have to go with season two just definitively <laughs> it has to be season two i mean absolutely flawless to me like, not a single thing wrong with season two. It's just beautiful the way they design the whole season as a continuous arc. How they they, just, they introduce so many characters in such strong ways. They I'm just a sucker for a downer ending. I, I love it. The <laughs> subversion of it in his ending. show is incredible. And just downer ending after downer ending after downer ending. Like, they just do not let up in season two. I just cried so many times with the Oppa <laughs> storyline. I mean, it just hit me exactly where it needed to hit. And season two is just perfect to me. If you're going to watch any season of Avatar, make a season two. It's just so good. All right. There you go. And any other last minute thoughts about this? Is this in your top five shows of all time? It's definitely top ten. I will say top ten. I can't definitively say top five. I can say my top, my favorite show of all time is Breaking Bad. And my favorite animated show of all time is BoJack Horseman. So those two are certainly top five. But I can say Avatar for sure is second favorite animated show. Top ten for sure overall. Gotcha. For me, it is solidly in the top five. It has cemented its place there upon this rewatch. I'm so glad they were able to do it. I mean, it was a lot of work and a lot of hours for us doing this whole discussion thing, but yeah, if it's going to be any show that can deserve it, Avatar Last Airbender, the masterpiece that it is, certainly does. I'm also so obsessed right now with Avatar. I mean, maybe it's just because of the last two days I've been completely just inundated with Avatar stuff, writing up the notes for it and watching some videos about it, but I am fully on board now with whatever the new Avatar Studios thing is that they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I hope and pray that we get, obviously not a like season four to this show, but if they do an anthology series or something like that, where they just continue with 
these particular characters as young adults or adults, like the comics sort of do, um, which I recently discovered that they had comics about these that were canon and continue the story. That's crazy yeah. to me. Apparently there's like 20 of them. So there's a whole season right there. That's a good mythology stuff, yeah. thing. So like I am completely ready for that stuff and hope that it is fantastic and great because I love these characters in this world so much. It's so beautiful. Let me ask you, now that you have become fallen in love with Avatar and you've engrossed yourself once again and are so obsessed with it, will you watch Legend of Korra? I absolutely will. Yes, let's go. I'm going to do it. And we may end up not as in-depth as this, but we may end up doing a, a show one later episode, on about it. A singular episode about all of Legend yeah, about of Korra. All the nah, we can't do one per season. I can't do it. No, no, no. Not for Legend of Korra. One where we talk about, yeah, all the seasons. Um, and so I'm interested in that because I like, because they go more into like the political ramifications of this world and like what having an avatar means. It's so good. How to repair uh, this world when, you know, there's still a lot of prejudice in it. There's non-vendors so who feel good. threatened by the existence of vendors and whatnot. So it's, I really it's so like beyond anything you can even imagine. It's so good in a way that you would not expect. Like Nick was dishing on a little bit in the last episode, but dude, it is so good. Like it is genuinely well thought out, and the third season is phenomenal. Like it's absolutely phenomenal. It's absolutely just one of the best things I've ever seen. Just, just the character nice. development alone is on par with Avatar. It's just so well done. The last season kind of lacks a little, but everything else is just very, very good. And I just I love Legend of Korra. It, it is on par. It is in the same field as Better Call Saul is to Breaking Bad. You know, it is a show that is has made secondary and it's not as good as the original show, but it, it definitely surpasses any kind of expectations you would have for a show that is following something so great. Mm-hmm. And it definitely uh, completely builds out the rest of the world that you missed out on in the first series. And it does its own unique thing, which is incredible. And it ha- introduces a bunch of great new characters and it's just incredible in its own way. And I love Legend of Korra. And I love Better Call Saul, and you should really watch both. Oh, we will. We will. I mean, we'll definitely get a Better I, Call Saul episode at some point. I do want you to know that I want to watch the first episode of Better Call Saul with you. Okay, I've seen the first episode. God <laughs> damn it. Okay. God damn it. I saw it again. It was the same thing. <laughs> like, we'll talk about the Breaking Bad thing. But one day, I was like, oh, Better Call Saul's on. Let me watch an episode. Thankfully, it wasn't, like, the most important episode of the whole series. It was the very first episode. But I was also like, wow, that's a great show. I can't wait to watch that one day. But that was, it was just God on damn. randomly. So it's not like I could follow up with the rest of them um so i didn't at that point but i was like dang you got a solid show you got all the way to the end of that episode yeah and you didn't want to watch more i did but i i can't remember if at that point i had even watched breaking bad um so yeah so do you remember how it ends i think vaguely i do i remember a lot of the house stuff i remember him being in like that is it the hair salon or the uh nail salon or whatever it is and he's like just in the room in the back um okay so the escape park. okay so i'm still i'm gonna rewatch with you because you don't remember the the key moments so i'm gonna rewatch no, the first so. episode. i remember again like i remember bits and pieces of it but i guess whatever the major cliffhanger is I don't yeah know. i'm gonna probably watch come to me as we watch it but yeah yeah i'm gonna watch it with you here's the thing though coming back to avatar yes. so yeah i'm excited to see legend of Korra for that i just i'm really interested in those more mature themes that they take on with the world they really do I'm also, bro, like these comics, I was looking at what they do, and that's really what I want. Like, I want a follow up series that deals with 
the aftermath of the Hundred Years War and how they rebuild yeah, it. And those comics, like one of them is focusing on how they deal with the Fire Nation colonies and how Aang and Zuko are pitted against each other in terms of that. Like, how do you deal with the people that their only home is that colony, but it isn't their original home? Um, like, that's just very interesting. And again, how do they how do they hash it out? That's fair to all parties involved. That's super interesting. They search for their mother. Like, we get that last thing in yeah, this episode. And they search for... Um, for Ursa with Azula, like that's just so cool. Mm-hmm. And they have like they have a bunch. Like I think it's literally twenty uh comics in total and they do it in like little trilogies. Yeah. I just think it'd be so amazing if they adapted those and again had it be distinct so it's not like Avatar Last Airbender. But yeah. have it be with the same characters, the same boys cast. It'd be I would just be in love with that. I would be fully in love with it. And just also to give a shout out to the main creative minds that gave us this this story, Michael Dante Di Martino and Brian Konietzko and Aaron Ihaz. Well, those were the animators and creators. The head writer Aaron Ihaz and the composer Jeremy Zuckerman, and of course the voice cast, who are all exceptional and amazing. It's just what an amazing thing that they gave to us. What an amazing just story! A beautiful show. Thank you all for your hard work, and thank you everybody who listened to us talk about this show for so many hours. <laughs> thank you for tuning in for this whole saga. Uh, if you missed an episode, maybe you came in late, you can go back and watch. We did an episode for each season. You can go listen to those as well. We go really in-depth. Thank you all for listening. That is all the time we have on Avatar. We're going to close it out here. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show or make a suggestion for the movie of the week, you can email us at boxoffershow at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. Be sure to tune in next week. Thank you all for listening. Have a good night.